I'm excited to introduce to you Victoria Robinson, an author, public speaker, television personality, and director of external relations for the pro-life organization Save the Storks. Victoria has become a well-respected pro-life leader around the world. She is a self-proclaimed risk-taker who feels called to wake Christians from complacency, something I think we can all agree is more needed today than ever before. She has four daughters, three son-in-laws, and eight grandchildren, so I have dubbed her the pro-life badass. And uh, Victoria <laughs> Robinson joins us on Unaborted with Seth Gruber um, today. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Victoria. Oh my gosh, thank you, and thanks for calling me a BA. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. You, you made quite an uh, impression in the pro-life movement, and it's, it's, uh, it's incredible to see how God has used you for so long. Um, we're going to talk specifically about what you care about, about what we just said, waking Christians from complacency, um, particularly on the issue of abortion, where any pro-life or worse their salt, worse their weight, knows that that is one of the biggest issues today, is the silence of the pulpits on the abortion of the lambs or the silence of the shepherds on the abortion of the lambs. But before we, we kind of talk about that and, and hopefully provide some encouragement um, to, to pastors and Christian leaders, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. Um, for those of who don't know it, I'd love to have you just kind of share with us how God brought you to where you are and, and called you to the mission of, of saving preborn children. Well, uh, thank you for having me. First of all, Seth, it's always an honor and a privilege when someone asks me to come and speak like yourself and share my story and share my heart and my passion. I think that the more people that hear stories like mine, the more that hearts and minds can be changed, or at least um, we can challenge and shift people's paradigms. So I really always appreciate and I don't take it for granted. Unfortunately for me, uh, 33 years ago, I was a single mother with two little girls that were nine months old and three years old, and their father decided he did not want to be married anymore, so he left. He left us. He, we lived in North Carolina, and he couldn't have gone any farther. He still does live in your side of the country. Uh, Seth, he went to California and abandoned us, basically. We didn't hear from him. We never received financial support. My girls never received any emotional support. So it was tough. It was really, really tough being a single mom. I was very young. I was only 22 years old and found myself now in this situation where I had to put food on the table for two babies and make sure they had what they needed. So I was working 12 hours easy a day and uh, seven sometimes days a week at a health club where I met a guy when I was the manager there who I fell madly in love with about nine months after my husband left and after our divorce. And I fell in love and thought, oh my gosh, we're going to put our teeth in the same jar. This is my guy. This is the forever. And, uh, and unfortunately, it wasn't. And nine months into the relationship, I found out that I was pregnant. When I went to my boyfriend, who we had already been talking marriage, I was so sure that, sure, he wouldn't be, we, it wasn't great timing, but I never expected him to mention the word abortion. And I had had friends in the past, up to then, that had had abortions almost as birth control, and we'd get in arguments about it. I knew one girl who had had seven abortions, and it just, it infuriated me. So I would say before I found myself in a crisis pregnancy, I would have considered myself pro-life until I was a single mom struggling finding myself in a crisis pregnancy and having my boyfriend say, not, not the right time, calling an abortion clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina, saying to me, the same thing. Well, if your boyfriend isn't supporting you, you know, you already have two children, you're a single mom that you can barely take care of. Don't you think you'd be real selfish as a mother uh, and, and to bring another mouth to feed? So why would you do that to the little girls that you have? That would be a really incredibly irresponsible thing to do. So being a woman in a crisis like that, you're already struggling. It's easy to be manipulated. Uh, because you're so vulnerable in that moment. And I believed the lies that there was nothing there. I was about six weeks pregnant and she convinced me that there was nothing there more than a blob of tissue, a clump of cells. My, my boyfriend was saying, we'll have kids later. And I didn't tell anyone else. I was too ashamed. And so I told no, none of my friends, my, uh, my family, 
I just let them convince me this was the right thing. So on a Saturday morning, I hired a babysitter for my little girls and lied to her and told her I was going shopping. I'd be back in a few hours and I drove myself to the abortion clinic 30 minutes away in Charlotte, North Carolina. And here's the thing interesting, Seth. I had been convinced by the boyfriend and by this woman at the abortion clinic that this was the right thing to do. There was nothing there. It was basically, she made it sound like I'd have a tooth pulled. Uh, But yet on the drive there, I can vividly remember having my hand on my stomach, crying, saying, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to do, but this is the best thing for you. You don't wanna be brought into this mess of my life. I can barely take care of your sisters. So this is the best choice for you. I mean, when I think back, it's it's just insanity. But when a woman is in that position, it's so easy to manipulate, as I said, to manipulate and lie to her when she is at her most um, vulnerable time of her life where she just needs support. So I walked in the abortion clinic and I remember sitting with the woman who took my $350 cash because that's how much my child's life was worth then. And she was very kind. It was the same woman, Seth, I talked to on the phone who was, you know, convincing me and loving, very lovingly and kind as she was in the room. Because I said to her before I handed her the money, I was crying and I said, are you sure this is okay? I, I have children. I know the outcome of a pregnancy. I'm already a mother. I'm a good mother. And she goes, oh, honey, she put her hand on my hand and said, honey, do you think if this wasn't okay or could harm you in any way that our government would allow it to be legal. And and she said, when you leave here, just never think of it again. You're so young, you can have more children later. And so then I hand her the money and her whole countenance changed, Seth. She looked at me once that money was in the drawer and she said, hey, just so you know, if you change your mind on that table, we don't give refunds here, so you don't get your money back. And then it was over within another hour. I walked out of there and I knew that I'd made the greatest, uh, worst decision of my life and that my life would never be the same. And I was right. You know, you know me just the other day when we were talking about um, the, the power of standing in the gap and the power of someone speaking truth in that moment to a vulnerable woman to stand apart from the echo of all the other voices who are speaking lies and gently encouraging her down the doorway of death. And so talk a little bit about that, about, about the power of standing in the gap. And I think that'll be a good transition to our conversation too. What would that have made a difference for you? Had your boyfriend, uh, your friends, anyone else said, no, honey, we're stopping this right now. And I'm going to be there for you 120%. There's no question. And there's no question that would have been made all the difference if he had just said that. And you know, though, uh, Seth, but, but when women are in a crisis pregnancy, a lot of them hide their secret because they know they're considering abortion. So the problem is they don't go and tell someone that might be that support system. So when the boyfriend or the abortion clinic worker is convincing her this is the right thing to do, well, we've got her, we've got to do it now. Here's, here's an interesting, um, it, it's actually incredibly sad. When I got home that day, my boyfriend couldn't take me. He had to go out of town for work. But when I got home that day, two hours later, he called me and said, I've changed my mind. We can do this. Let's have this baby. I, we'll get married. We'll have, and I said, you're too late. So he was a day late a few hours too late. And so, yes, it's 100% true. If women feel they have a support system that'll be there for them, or they're hearing something different than abortion, 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 at least they have, they know they have options instead of just hearing one side. So there is no question in my mind that many women would not have chosen abortion today had they had, there were, there are still those who would. I mean, I'm not that naive, but I do believe I just needed uh, a few people to say, don't do this, Vic. We'll help you. you. You've got these beautiful girls. We can do this. Amen. Wow. Okay. So that, so, and I want to talk more about that. I think that's so powerful. And I think we need more voices like yours, especially at this moment when we're so divided to be able to speak truth and speak it graciously and speak it seasoned with salt um, to, to stand in the gap and, and to be a voice for those who don't have one. Um, 
And this is not just an issue that is, you know, for the church and for Christians, it's just out there uh, somewhere in the ether and we're just in our little safe Christian bubbles and none of us choose abortion and we're, we're just perfect Christians. Unfortunately, we know that the statistics just don't bear that out. Uh, in fact, there was sure. a, uh, um, according to the Guttmacher Institute, uh, a little over 30% of women who obtain abortions identify either as mainline Protestant or evangelical. Uh, some studies have suggested even over 30%. Now, that's not even including Catholics. When you lump Catholics in there, Catholics, Protestants, and evangelicals, uh, mainline Protestants, now you're looking at close to 50. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. So, did you When you heard those studies, though, Seth, like me, because when I heard them, I was absolutely floored. I was floored because I thought, wait, 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 we're talking about Christians? These are Christians? So I was so sure and confident that if any study like that had been done, it was going to be off the charts that the Christians did not support abortion. I was blown away myself. It was very discouraging and also infuriating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I first saw those statistics, when I first got involved in this issue at 19, I thought that if you were Christian, you were pro-life. And if you were Christian, you didn't get abortions. And it was the church that was the pro-life movement. And we were the ones fighting abortion. And I learned very quickly that that wasn't the case uh, to my great chagrin, right? I mean, to my great disappointment, unfortunately, learning mm-hmm. the deafening silence of the church on, on the abortion of the lambs. And, and so what do you say to men? <laughs> let's not forget the the men and women right. who have chosen abortion, have paid for abortion, or oftentimes in the man's case, have pressured abortion. Um, what do you say to these men and women, particularly in the church, who feel shame? They feel guilt. And guess what? Their pastors make it worse by not talking about it from the pulpit and, and preaching the gospel directly to those who have chosen abortion in a way that's going to resonate with them, in a way that's going to remind them that Jesus is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any other sin. So you've counseled many men and women who have had abortions. What do you say to them and what would be your message to anyone listening to this who's had an abortion? Well, let me let me preface by saying this. What you're saying is absolutely true. If the pastors aren't speaking about it from the pulpit, they may not always, or bringing someone like me in to speak from the pulpit, they may not even know that there's help available. And that's the issue. A lot of people who've had abortions will run to the church because they're looking for some kind of redemption and reconciliation and solace. They're not finding it all the time because they're not talking about it. So the the problem, the, the challenge, I should say, is that when I am able to get in front of those people through social media, through my testimony that's been viewed, one of them out there, like I think 12, 13 million times, um, it has it has streamed. So those are ways that I know they're watching because I get the letters. I receive the messages and the emails. And so what I would say to them is God forgives everything, including abortion. There is reconciliation and redemption after abortion. Now, recently I was in Cody, Wyoming speaking at a pregnancy center banquet. And after I spoke and I did speak about my testimony, I talked about post-abortion counseling and I talked about grieving the loss of my child. This woman came to me and this happens frequently, if not every time I speak somewhere, whether it's a church, a banquet, wherever I'm at, conference. She came to me and she was already crying as she walked towards me. She was probably 62, 63. And she says, I wanted to talk to you because I wasn't even supposed to be here tonight. And she's talking to me with no one around, making sure because of the shame. I, I knew what she was going to say. And she said, my friend called me an hour before this started and said, I've got this extra ticket to this event. Do you want to go with me? My husband can't go. She said, sure. What girl's night out? I had no idea what it was about. And here I am hearing your story. And she, here's what she said, Seth. She goes, she's crying. And she said, thank you for giving me permission to grieve. I thought I wasn't allowed I had an abortion 40 years ago. And every time I get emotional and sad about it, I bury it because I think I'm not allowed. Who do I think I am? I'm the one who chose abortion. And she said, and secondly, I had no idea there was this post-abortion counseling help available for people like me. Thank you. Where do I sign up? So I helped her. And, and then I looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. She said it was losses. It was twin girls. And I've never been able to have children. I never was able to have children again. The only children she would have had, she aborted. 
So this is 40 years after this woman. So that's who's sitting in the churches. That's who's sitting beside you at work. That's who's listening right now. There is. Now, I had another woman come to me at an event because I get emotional sometimes when I tell my story. Sometimes I don't. I can't, I don't, I can't predict. I'm not one that fakes anything. And she came to me, a sweet Christian woman, and she said, Oh, Victoria, are you sure you've gone through complete healing? I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you just got so emotional talking about your abortion and your child. And and I looked at her and I said, well, can I ask you a question? Do you have children? She said, I have three. Well, if you lost one of them, would you grieve the rest of your life? She goes, oh, I'd be devastated. I said, well, it's no different for someone like me who's had an abortion. Post-abortive men and women need to have permission to grieve and understand there's help available for them. Does it mean that you don't think about that? Of course it doesn't. There are days I've been doing this work for 22 years. I was a CEO of three separate pregnancy resource centers in my career before I came to work for Save the Storks. You still have those moments, but you're not held hostage. You're not crippled by them once you go through healing. So I would tell them there is help available and uh, it's out there. Go to your local pregnancy resource center. Tell them you're a post-abortive man or woman and they will help you get the help you need. Or find me. I promise you I will help you find those resources. That's awesome. That's beautiful, Victoria. Thank you for sharing that. And unfortunately, while there are resources available and counseling available for healing and grief, Unfortunately, that's not often coming from the church. You have to go to the Pregnancy Resource Center to get it. And so next, I want to ask you about why so few pastors will preach against abortion or engage um, in the pro-life movement, because I think that has really um, had more dam- has, has caused more damage than we could even imagine uh, in the pro-life movement and for unborn children. Um, but first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and want to help us equip more people to defend life and expose more people to the stories of life, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted and consider becoming a patron of the show. Uh, that's what really helps us increase the production value of the show. We'd love to move to two episodes as well as start doing interactive pro-life content in the public with people who probably have not been exposed to pro-life ideas from pro-life spokespeople who can graciously and persuasively defend life and encourage them to reconsider their views by examining evidence that they haven't seen or heard before. We now have a whole section of tiers available on Patreon, which just provides little perks for those of you who choose to support the show. So if you want to become a patron of the show, head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted, and uh, we will uh, be right back with more of Victoria's story. Welcome back to the show. Uh, We have Victoria Robinson with us today from Save the Storks discussing her story and discussing uh, what we as Christians should do to engage the issue of life and the responsibility of the church, of followers of Jesus and of Christian leaders and pastors to be a voice for the unborn. So thank you so much for joining us today, Victoria. Oh, thanks again for having me, Seth. I'm glad to be here. You know, you just said something that really um, powerful that really really hit me really hard. I want to return to it. You talked about a woman who approached you in an event who said she didn't know that she was allowed to grieve. Um, One of my colleagues, Mike Spencer, once said that when pastors choose silence over faithfulness, they do not spare these men and women in their congregations hurt. They spare Mm -hmm. them healing. And he went on to say that pastor's silence exposes that either they don't see abortion as all that bad or they don't see the gospel as all that good or both. And I think that that powerfully hits to the heart of the issue as as it pertains to the deafening silence of the church on the abortion of the lambs. And so I want, I want you to talk about exactly the, why it's so important for pastors to speak up um, and then we can kind of talk about maybe some of the reasons they don't. But but um, obviously there's power in, in the church and in pastors speaking on this issue and giving freedom to those in their congregation who have already made that choice for death and are already being torn apart by it to be welcomed into the gospel of grace that is available for all. Uh, well, let, let me say it like this. Uh, what your friend said is spot on. Uh, but when I first got saved and accepted Christ, it was in 93. 
And I had sang with a band, so I love music. I've always sang. I got involved in the worship, on the worship team. So I was leading worship for a church of 7,000 people. And nobody knew my secret that I'd had an abortion. I was terrified that if they found out, they'd kick me off the worship team. They'd ask me to stop coming to church. Or the women's ministry I was heavily involved with would say, you know, why are you here? You don't, you don't belong with us. You know, I I had all these thoughts going through my head. Now, fast forward years later, when I wrote my book, they lied to us. And I went to show it to, I was part of a leadership team of women of 12. I wanted them all to have a copy of my book. And I had them read the first chapter, which was my story. And I'll never forget the women's ministry leader looked at me, Pastor Terry, and she said, Vic, you had an abortion. You've never told us. Now you have to understand, this was a very intimate group that I was part of. That when I got asked to be part of it, I tried to talk the pastor out of it and said, no, 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 you, you heard God wrong. Because in my mind, I'm so ashamed. There's no way God would have said, I want Victoria on this team. It took them months to get me to sign, to join their, the, this group. So she looked at me and said that. And I said, I did. I was terrified, Seth. And she hugged me. She goes, Vic, I love you. Did you think I would judge you or condemn you for that? And I said, well, you guys never talk about it. So if you don't, if we don't talk about it in the church, that silence is, gives us, sends the impression that, oh gosh, that's the sin that they don't talk about because that's the worst one. If you've done that, you're condemned. So that was my mindset. I was wrong, but the perception is reality for a lot of people. So people are sitting in church and if they're not hearing their pastor address the abortion issue, not in a way of condemnation, absolutely not. Because those churches where they're screaming, you're a murderer, you're a, I'm like, you need to get off the pulpit, buddy. And, and that kind of is not, not what I'm talking about because um, that's just wrong on every level. But I'm talking about in a way of love, even just to bring someone in like me, as I said, to talk about it so that people sitting in the church are going, wow. Our, our church is, is a, above some of the other ones. I've never heard of a church addressing this issue. So we can't be silent. That is what's going to change in the church. 64, I think, isn't it? 64 million now, Seth, abortion since Roe v. Wade. That's 125 million people. A, per, a very high percentage of those people are sitting in congregations every single week. As I said earlier, they're running to the church. When they get to the point where they're sick and tired of feeling guilt and shame, where are they going to go? They're going to go to the church because they're looking for a place of rescue. If they're not hearing this talked about, that just compounds their guilt and shame. So it must be talked about. That, that was so powerfully put. I've never heard it put exactly like that. So thank you for saying that. Because you're right. I don't think pastors and Christian leaders or, you know, women leaders in the church have the, you know, this nasty heart of like, we want to make you feel, you know, shameful and you're horrible if you've had an abortion. But their silence is really loud. It's really loud. Agree. I, I, that is the, the perfect way to say it. The silence is loud. You know, it's like our children. If we don't tell our children, don't run in the road. There's cars that can hurt you. Don't get in a, in a car with a stranger. You know, we teach our children to keep them safe. We teach our children and speak it to them because then they look at it. Well, you didn't tell me not to touch the hot oven. You didn't tell me I'd get burned if I stuck my foot in that fire. So we have to talk about things, even the things that are uncomfortable. They must yeah, be talked yeah, about. That's so powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you and I have both been speaking in churches for a while, you longer than me. I probably spoke in my first church and gave a message on abortion when I was probably 19. Um, and I'm about to turn 29, so about 10 years. So you could be my son, because my oldest daughter is 38. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you are the, the pro-life grandmother badass, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But unfortunately, you and I have gotten a lot of, of really saddening infuriating, uh, pathetic, childish reasons from pastors as to why they're not going to preach on abortion. They're not going to address it. God forbid they have a guest come in and speak about it and give and give someone else their pulpit. They're not going to allow a pro-life ministry to be started by someone else. Um, and maybe, maybe if they're a really good church, 
they'll give the local pregnancy <laughs> resource center director five minutes on sanctity of human life Sunday and maybe or $25 yeah, yeah. or maybe a table in the foyer afterwards. I mean, so, and, and so, and I've had, I have people come up to me after I speak at a church and say, say, thank you so much. This is long overdue, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, I know, but you know, thank, thank God your pastor had me. But unfortunately, um, oftentimes that is the impression I get at churches, which means that I'm the first one to really preach a message against abortion at that church. And I know you have similar experiences. And so I have a collection of about four reasons as to, as to in my decade of experiences as, as what are typically given by pastors. They fit in about four different buckets. But first, I want to hear a little bit. I want to hear you kind of share with us some of the primary reasons you hear from pastors and how we should think through those. And I think this is important because even for those of you listening who are not pastors, um, you may be persuaded by the illusion that the church should not be stepping into that realm, into the pro-life movement realm, into the political realm. W you know, we need to just focus on saving souls. Um, and that's one of the reasons given by pastors. So talk a little bit about kind of what, what you're told and how we should think through that as Christians in the church. Well, again, when I was the, the CEO of the Pregnancy Resource Centers, it and, and I'm talking three different ones, all the same thing. North Carolina, Arizona, Tennessee. All the same thing. It's like you have to beat the door down to go get five, ten minutes. There are those pastors who will say, Vic, you can cut, you can have the whole service. This needs to, there are those brave pastors. I've heard different things, Seth. Uh, the ones that are brave enough to say something, they don't all, a lot of them, oh, uh, there's just no time. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we don't really bring in guest speakers. Seriously? I mean, you don't bring in guest speakers. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> they, they did that all the time. Um, and so, but I think the many reasons I've heard and the ones I've come to conclude are fear, fear of offending maybe their big tithers or the churchgoers that they know are pro-choice or the ones that they're not sure about. And so they want to appease everybody, which I don't know where that's in the Bible, but they want to appease everybody and not ruffle any feathers. Uh, maybe Mr. Smith paid for the carpet to be put in the church and they know he's votes for pro-choice um, politicians. And you know what I say to that pastor? Let him take the, the carpet. I mean, tell him to take it with him when he leaves. Um, so fear of offending people in their congregation. I believe some of them have the fear that some in the congregation will catch on to the pro-life and want to get involved in the pro-life and maybe divide their tithe to go to the local pregnancy resource center. Or they're afraid, well, gosh, if they give them a check, if she asks for donations while she's here and they're going to write, that means they're going to take it out of our offering bucket. Instead of realizing God's going to abundantly bless you because you bring a ministry in like a pregnancy resource center that gets blessed by your congregation, you can't well, have seek God. first, it's right? Insanity. His kingdom and his righteousness and all. Exactly. Exactly. I think some of it is that we have a lot of, I'm just going to say it. I think there are pro-choice pastors in the pulpit. And um, I think that those are some of the bigger reasons. I'm trying to think if I'm leaving one out, but I mean, you and I know that. I mean, these are not people who are serving the the God of the of the of the Bible. Nope. That's for sure. You know what I, I I like to say this, Seth, and I've said it to a in my career to a couple pastors in in love, because I'm not here to I don't want to bash pastors. They're they're human beings. But there are some people in the pulpit that don't belong in the pulpit. There are people that have not been called to the pulpit. And it's become their, almost their God. They love the applause. They love the accolades. They love the attention, especially in some of these big churches. But they want to make sure they keep their feel-good messages going because they don't want anybody to not like me. I, I think I, I love what you said earlier about about the fear of offending, right? I think that's really important. So here, here's how I sort of thought through it, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. So a pastor tells us, right? You know, I don't want to offend anyone in the church. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to guilt them or shame them if they've had an abortion. Um, and, and certainly, if you know, if someone's visiting who's not a Christian. And then the first sermon they hear from our church is a pro-life sermon. They're going to go, I knew it, just another Republican church. 
screw this church, I'm leaving. And, and then, so, so we can't preach against abortion. See, if you really think about it, Victoria, we just can't do it because that might be the only opportunity that they have to respond to the gospel. And, uh, and, and we need to make sure they hear a gospel message at their first time they visit our church, not a pro-life sermon that's going to make them think we're political. Now, obviously, <laughs> well, guess, well, guess, well, guess what, Pastor? Guess what? The gospel's pro-life. The gospel's all about life. And the bottom line, Pastor, is this: is when you're not preaching that truth for maybe that guest who's there who needed to hear that truth. And I'm not talking about pastors getting up there, hell and damnation. I don't want those kinds of messages about the abortion issue. You're going to hell and all, you're a murderer, as I said. But talk about love. Talk about, do they preach against adultery? Meh, not much anymore. Do they preach against stealing? Not much anymore. It's become more of the feel good. I'm too afraid. Of, I want everybody to be happy. Well, we're going to see how that works out for you when you, when you meet Jesus, um, because it's not going to work out too well. I've always felt, Seth, that God called me to antagonize religious people. And, <laughs> and I think some pastors need that same revelation. And I've always said too, you know, if, if we have to avoid certain messages because they're offensive and because in if we offend, we might actually push them away from receiving the gospel. You know, my first question, have you ever read the gospels? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes Jesus says things in order to offend because he already sees into their heart. And so he he intentionally puts a stumble, stumbling block before them, right? He knew that the rich young ruler loved money. And so he's like, you're right. You have obeyed all the commandments. Now go give away everything you have. Intentionally puts a roadblock in his way. That's offensive, right? And Paul, sa exactly. Paul says that the gospel is offensive. So I love to tell pastors, if that's your reasoning, I, I, I hope you've stopped preaching the gospel from the pulpit because that's offensive. Right, right. It, it, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll, I, I tell you, uh, it's it's very discouraging. But, and then again, what does the Bible say? The road is narrow and few will find it and that people will be deceived by leaders. So I'm not surprised by it, but I don't think there are more pastors who don't have a heart for people than there aren't. Does that make sense? I really don't. I think that they're walking in fear. So that's why I tell them, then you don't need to do it. Bring me in. Let me do it. I can promise you, I, you can trust me with your pulpit to bring the message in a way that brings that shows them love, compassion, and then gives them an action plan because they're sitting in your church, pastor, and they are starving for someone to say, you can be forgiven for having an abortion. And you are robbing these people of not just healing, of a blessing of knowing that I, I'm not alone. And wow, my pastor cares enough about me to bring this woman in or this man in to talk to me about a very sensitive issue because he loves our congregation so much because he knew there were some of us sitting That's here. That's so good. I hope you heard that, Pastor, that uh, in, in failing to preach on abortion, you are sparing your congregation both healing and a blessing. I think those are powerful words. I think, I think that perfectly summarizes how we need to address this with the church. We're not here to lambast you. We're not here to yell at you. We want you on our team. And we want to reach the position, Victoria and I, where we don't have to go into preach into churches, where pastors across America would be doing it so faithfully and so biblically and so lovingly and so courageously that they wouldn't feel the the fear that comes along with preaching on abortion such that they I'm just going to invite a guest and let a, and not let an expert do it you know we we want to be in the position where we don't have to do that um the last one that I get a lot Victoria and I want I want to toss this one your way and see if you want to swing for it is is when churches say and we touched on this earlier there you go um <laughs> is we're we're not a political church right and you know come on Victoria our, our we we're so politically divided right now in our country, so politically divided, that how is that going to help? How is me preaching against abortion? That's only going to further entrench our political divisions. It's going to piss off people in our church who are pro-choice, but they're they're following hard after Jesus, which I, I don't know if that can those things can coexist. And, uh, and, and we don't want to put an image out into our city that we're trying to reach with the gospel, that we're just this red Republican church that is just, you know, go Trumpers, and, and so they're never going to visit our church. And so actually preaching on abortion is going to prevent the proclamation of the gospel because it's so political. We're not a political church. We're about the, uh, we're about the Great Commission. We're about saving souls. Um, and so what do you say to that? I say, well, guess what, Pastor? This isn't about politics. It's about a human rights issue.
And guess what, pastor? If you want to be a club, go start a club down the road. Well, this is the church. And the church is where the truth sets you free. The church is a, is a place, a hospital for the sick. It's a hospital for the people that are wounded and walking out there with wounds gaping. And that's the abortion issue. These people have wounds that are oozing and gaping and they're bleeding to death. So they need you. What in the are you doing then? I mean, what are you doing? I, I, that, that is the most ridiculous argument, in my opinion, Seth, about, the, about politics. This has nothing to do with Democrat, Republican, or Independent. I have friends who are Democrats that are pro-life. I have friends that are, that are Democrats that are very, in a very hard position right now. And they're struggling because they have been a part of a party all of their lives that they're watching become the pro-death party. And this has nothing to do with that, with, oh, I'm this or you should vote this way. I am telling you, look around. They were celebrating last January late-term abortion. They were lighting up buildings to celebrate it. So it wasn't, it wasn't one party doing that. It was another party. So they're in very, I had, I had calls after that happened, Seth, from friends that were Democrats saying, this cannot be true. Vic, they're killing babies to birth. I said, guess what? They've been doing that since Roe v. Wade. You're just hearing about it, so now you can't plead ignorance anymore. So that's been going on, but now it's in your face. I personally believe that backfired to a degree because I've seen more people investigating the abortion issue because they are totally shocked. Or movies like Unplanned that came out last April. They're seeing things in your face. You cannot plead ignorance any longer. So guess what, pastor? Let me know how that works for you. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, it's like uh, William Wilberforce echoing scripture actually once said, you can no longer say you did not know, right? We all know, we all see, we know what's happening. It's time to act responsibly. It's time to preach the full counsel of God. Um, Hadley Arks, uh, one in a phenomenal constitutional legal natural law scholar in America, um, he's a professor of jurisprudence at Amherst College and uh, the founder of, and director of the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights. He once made an observation, Victoria, about certain Republican Party friends who were strangely hesitant to fully endorse pro-life legislative strategies that Hadley Arcs was helping to draft. And he had this line about this the strange hesitancy and silence of, you know, pro-life, people who are supposed to be pro-life Republicans. And this is what he said. He said, we had to wonder whether some of our friends really were not possessed by a lively sense that there were real human beings getting killed in these surgeries. And I read that line in one of his books and it just floored me because that perfectly describes millions of Christians in America yeah. today and hundreds of thousands of pastors who, guess what? They pay lip service to the pro-life issue. They say that they're pro-life. But do you see anything happening that reflects that stance in their church? No. So now we're going to kind of move to this next tier of pastor, if you will, and churches who, who regularly have the Pregnancy Resource Center director once a year. They talk about the ministry from the pulpit. But he's never preached a full-length sermon against abortion. He's never actually started a pro-life ministry from the church, like a pro-life initiative that's run by the church. He just kind of pays lip service to the pro-life movement. And I think we, you and I see a lot of these Christians who say they're pro-life, mm -hmm. at least I do. One of my friends voted for um, Hillary Clinton, um, but he's very pro-life. And I see more and more people doing that. And, 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 and so there's just this complete disconnect between the atrocities being committed against unborn children and the political realities that, hey, guess what? The best way to stop the slaughter of the unborn is to make it illegal. And you can't do that mm -hmm. if you vote for people who have been celebrating that dismemberment for their entire political career. Yeah, absolutely. So that line by Hadley Arcs is powerful. And I think it goes back to kind of what you were talking about with pastors who – who say they're pro-life, but they're not actually doing anything about it. So I can't. Well, here. So yeah, what are your thoughts? Here's the thing, Seth, for me is, and I would challenge anyone who has that mindset. The ultrasound was the greatest thing to ever happen for the pro-life movement. Uh, 
science coming out with their study that they have determined at conception, there is a unique human being with its own DNA, period. 21 days after conception, you can pick up a heartbeat. So I always find it interesting that people who scream about abortion, abortion, and, and they're with their signs or whatever have already been born. How convenient for them. One, the only difference between, and it's easy to prove, it's not lip service, that a fertilized egg that becomes an embryo that become, or a zygote that becomes an embryo, that becomes an infant, that becomes a, a, a toddler, and then a, an adolescent, a preteen, a teenager, an adult, and then a senior citizen. The only difference of your DNA or your size or who you are is age. That's it. There's nothing else different. So I would say, really, well, let, that's an easy one for me. Let's go, let's go check out an ultrasound of a woman who just found out she's pregnant. And, or, or also, the other thing that we need to do is, is get people to, um, uh, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. But as far as going back to when life begins, I'm talking take Christian out of it, even taking that part out. You don't read the Bible. You don't believe what God says about it. Let's go look at what science says about it. Let's look at the evidence and you can't dispute it. So science is on our side. The majority of the, a large portion, if not a majority of the medical community has said, these babies feel pain in the womb. When a woman is having surgery on her unborn child, they put her to sleep because they want the baby to go to sleep. They don't want the baby to feel the pain when they're maybe doing surgery on spina bifida or some easy surgery. Yet we wanna pretend in an abortion these human beings do not feel pain because that makes it easier to stomach. You're right, you cannot plead ignorance anymore. Get your head out of the sand. You can go ahead and walk around with blinders. I don't, you know, the Bible talks about the scales coming off and he, people, some people believe what they want, he allows them to. I believe some people, he has allowed them to see the truth. They just refuse to see it because it will make for a very inconvenient decisions for them. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah. And that's powerful. I, and that's, and that's what I wondered so long about some of these pastors, right? Is when they tell us, uh, well, you know, we're a great commission church. We're not a political church. We're not a pro-life movement church. We're about the great commission. I, you, you and I both know that they would never say that if instead of discussing the politics of abortion, let's just assume and presume in a thought experiment that Hillary Clinton, rather than stumping for abortion through the day of birth and going on BFF dates with Cecile Richards, she was stumping for legalizing spousal abuse. Um, or let's just go um, the trafficking of, of kids under 12. You know, we're just trafficking children, sex or slavery or otherwise. What church, what pastor who tells us they won't preach on abortion because it's a political issue and they're not a political church, they're a Great Commission church, would say regarding that the same thing? And the answer is none of them. None of them would say that. Yep. Exactly. I'll tell you what, I do not apologize for being a one-issue voter. And I don't have to tell people who I'm voting for. I, they can figure it out. And um, and people will say, well, how can you vote for this person? They're this way and they're annoying and they said this. I'm like, where does she stand on abortion? Where does he stand on abortion? If I can't trust this person with the most vulnerable, how can I trust this person with my family, with my finances, with my country? I cannot. Because if you have so little disregard for the most innocent, vulnerable human being, sorry, in my book, you're, you're out. And I'm actually, I'll even take it a step further, Victoria. I, I'll, I actually don't appreciate it when people say you shouldn't tell people uh, who it is right or wrong to vote for from the pulpit. That's wrong. Don't talk about that at the church. I actually, I don't like that at all. And I know plenty, mm -hmm. I actually know a lot of very pro-life pastors. So now we're going a third tier up. We're talking about pastors <laughs> who have a pro-life ministry in their church. They're really good friends with the local pregnancy resource center director. They give her the mic almost whenever she wants. So, right, we have the people who are not at all, right, not doing nothing. Right. Then they pay lip service, but they're not going to start a pro-life ministry. Then there's a third tier pastor. So, so we're getting better, right? You got this third tier now who are saying like, amen, brother, they go to the PRC banquets. They they underwrite the tables and the banquet costs. They give the director yep. time to talk whenever she wants. They 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 check in with the pro-life ministry in their church saying, how are things going? But then if you say, pastor, 
you need to take a little bit of responsibility and ensure that you tell people this election year that it is wrong as Christians to vote for the Democratic option, not because God hates Democrats or that you can't be a Democrat and be Christian, but because they support the slaughter of image bearers through the point of birth funded by the public dole. That's why you yep. need to say that. <laughs> so I, and yeah. I've said that from churches and I've had some people come up to me and say that was really offensive. And you know what I asked them? I asked them the same question we asked these pastors. Would you say the same thing if it was sex trafficking? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes no sense. But the enemy is a liar and he deceives people. And we have this this country right now of everybody, how many likes can I get with this picture? And who's going to say this nice things to me? I want to be liked. I want to be loved. It's like, get over yourself. This is a time to offend people in love. And you can do it with a sense of righteousness. Jesus did it. He teaches us how to do it. I don't hate somebody because they're pro-choice. They're a challenge for me. I want to know why are you pro-choice? I had a conversation with um, a, a, guy, a guy who has been with his partner for years. And he and I met at this meeting and it was a production meeting for a show that I was doing. And he looked across the table from me and here's what he said, Seth. He says, so uh, yeah, I, I vetted you. I know, I know all about you. I know you're one of those pro-life people. And I said, yeah, I am pro-life. I said, so tell me what, what does that mean? He goes, oh, oh, I know exactly what it means, the kind of person you are. I, said, I, I would love to know. He goes, he said, oh, you're one of those people in front of abortion clinics screaming you're a murderer, you're going to hell, who judges people like me because I'm pro-choice. And he had that same mentality that a lot of people have had, which is why we've got to shift the paradigms of how people see the pro-life movement today, because it's not 30, 40 years ago. You'll never catch me with a dead baby on a sign in front of people screaming anything at them. I have nothing to do with those kinds of, of, I, that's just not my, I don't, I do not do that. So he, he went on and on. And when he was done, I said, that is so interesting. Actually, that's nothing like me. And so I explained to him, do you know that um, 64% of women feel uh, very pressured into having an abortion? He says, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, if you're pro-choice, don't you want them to know all their options before they make that decision? Don't you think that they're capable and intelligent enough and to be trusted with all the information rather than betrayed with lies? Then they can make their own decision because God gave us free will to do what we want. So I can't drag her out of an abortion clinic, but I still, by gosh, want her to know all of her options before she chooses. And he, I said, do you want her to know her options? He goes, yeah, of course I do. I said, I'm probably more pro-choice than you are. Because I'm going to tell her all her options before she makes her choice. Your side thinks one way, abortion. And so he goes, well, I never thought of it like that. So then here's what he says. Well, what do you think about me because I'm gay and I have a partner? I bet you think. I said, well, you tell me what you think I think about you. And here's what he said. You probably think I'm part of those gay pride parades. You probably think that I'm one of those people screaming at you. You're going to make me a cake for my wedding because I have the right to come to a Christian baker and say, make me a cake. You think I'm one of those one that's going to push my agenda down your throats. He said, Victoria, I'm nothing like that. My partner's nothing like that, nor any of the people we hang around with. All of us are embarrassed by what we see in the media. So I said, well, that's interesting, Jeff. And he gave me permission to share this. I said, because don't you think it's interesting how the media has painted a picture about who I am as a pro-life person and who you are as a gay man? Sounds to me like the media has been lying to us for a long time. <laughs> so if we would just have conversations with people, Seth, have respectful, civil conversations, I think we could get a lot further than we are in this That's issue. That's really, really, really good because, I mean, obviously we know the malfeasance of the media on basically all things. But I think, the, I think the bridge here, which is so important as we're talking about the silence of pastors, the silence of the church on the abortion of little children is that had the church been engaging faithfully on this issue from the very beginning in, in an overwhelming way, right? Like the majority of churches were owning this. They were saying, we are not going to be like the German Christians during the Holocaust who did nothing. We're not going to be like the American Christians during slavery who did nothing. We're going to correct the record of the church during genocide. And we're going to stand in the gap for these children. Had that been the overwhelming response of the church from the the middle of the sexual revolution that launched into Roe versus Wade, 
then the the media narrative that pro-lifers are hateful, bigoted, and they just scream at pregnant women that they're murderers would be nearly impossible to maintain by the media because there would just be such yeah. an overwhelming response of people who love Jesus in the church sending a different narrative, sending a different message. Exactly, which is why we, what we're saying is the church has failed um, in, in many ways. Look around at the country we're in today. Why haven't they been teaching on racism? I mean, where has the church been? They haven't been there. They have been, as you said, silent. And shame on that. Shame on the fact that you've got the greatest message known to mankind. All of it, not just the parts that make people feel good and come back the next week and write you a tithing check. I'm talking about the parts that are going to bring change the parts that are going to shift hearts and minds towards Christ, which is in turn going to make their lives more fulfilled. But now when we have the church looking just like the world in many, many instances, Seth, people are going, hey, I I, I don't go to church because I've already been. I mean, you guys don't look at, I've done business with, you have nothing to say to me. I was at an event once where I, I was singing and preaching. This was a church that gave me the whole service in Raleigh. And I was in the bathroom getting ready, put on lipstick for before the service. And two women were in there and they were just giving me the look. Over. I mean, they were, and I was smiling at them while we're washing our hands. Not a word. They just looked at me like, what are you doing here? Afterwards, I'm at my book table. Those same two women come over to me. I had just sang and I had just preached a message, shared my testimony and talked about pro-life. They come over all giddy and excited. These women were probably in their 40s. Oh my gosh, we saw you in the bathroom. Do you remember us? You were, we loved your song and your message. And they're going on. I let them go on and on and on. I'm just smiling at looking at them. And I said, wow, I do remember you from the bathroom. And guess what? Because they said, we didn't know that you were the speaker. I said, it really shouldn't have mattered. Should it have? It shouldn't have mattered if I was a guest, if I was a member of this church or your speaker, but that's the church today. They look so much like the world and they're not looking set apart that people on the outside are going, oh God, here come those Christians. They're no better than anybody, but they pretend like they are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we, we have lost, we have lost such a sense of our responsibility and, and not just that, but the promise of the Holy Spirit to show up. <laughs> and to do the work on our behalf when we step out in just obedience, right? And so Francis Schaeffer... We've lost credibility, Seth. We have lost credibility because we... How can you as a Christian, as a church body in this country, support abortion by shutting your mouth about it and expect a world to not be pro-choice? Come on. And the pulpit used to wield a lot more power and cultural influence. And we, we've strayed so far from that, right, from the, the, the late 1800s. Uh, I mean, this led Francis Schaeffer to once say every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the Church of Jesus Christ. And when I first heard that and read that several years ago, I was just floored by that. And it led me to begin encouraging the churches I speak in to consider this. I asked them to just consider this picture. Can you imagine with me for a second, right? Let's reimagine this. If two or three churches in any given county, not city, county in America, had a couple individuals in their church who, when any abortion clinic in their county was open, performing abortions, they committed to stand outside with signs that said, we will adopt your baby, with prenatal imagery of the child in the womb with literature, with tracts, with women and men who are offering to pray for them, with signs that say, we'll pay for your apartment, Uh, whatever it is. And we've seen some of the statistics from pro-life groups, unfortunately, because the CNN would never do a poll on this. And and the research (laughs) is what percentage of women turn away and don't go into the abortion clinic or drive through when there's people standing outside. And some Mm pro-life groups have found maybe around 80, 70 to 80% of women who, when they just yep. see people standing there, they won't go in the... It's a reminder. Yeah. Now, what if it's not a only reminder people standing because... there, but we were holding signs with babies and saying, we love you. We'll adopt your baby. We have a back house for you. We could bankrupt right. the abortion industry in a matter of months if a handful we... of churches in the county were doing that all across the country. And, and Seth, that's the... 
That's the beauty of the Storks bus, of, of, of something like the Stork bus, which is parked in front of abortion clinics with friendly, not uh, irate, radical, crazy people, with friendly people saying, hey, if you'd like a free ultrasound, we can do that for you here on the bus. Our nurse is here. Do you need any options counseling? We'd love to help you. And then when they jump, four out of five women who step foot on a Stork bus choose life, who are about to walk into an abortion clinic because they see the baby on the ultrasound. You cannot deny a heartbeat. It's hard to deny arms and legs, and they're not gonna let them see that in an abortion clinic. They keep it hidden. So when they see their baby, I've been in that room when these women have said, wait, what is that flickering light? Oh, that's your baby's heartbeat. Would you like to hear it? Turn it up. Wait, those look like arms and legs. That woman told me that it's just a blob of tissue right now. That's not a bait. Well, no, that's your baby. When they make, because most people don't want to choose abortion. The, the, the majority of women, you said the people were standing out and the numbers are high. Remember I talked about earlier that support. There's the reminder of nobody was there that day when I went by myself to that abortion clinic. Would it have made a difference? I don't know but I'll never know now. But there was no one standing outside. But I'd like to think if someone walked up to me and said, can I show you your baby? How far along are you? This is your baby right now. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Because I was already on the fence and that woman sensed it. So she pushed me all the way over. Wow. You know, Proverbs 24 says to rescue those who are being taken away to death and to hold back those stumbling toward the slaughter but it goes on mm-hmm. in, in 20 proverbs 24 12 it says if you say behold we did not know this does not he who weighs the heart perceive it does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it and will he not repay man according to his works you know and then this i think it gets echoed by people like william wilberforce right and dietrich bonhoeffer right he said not to speak is to speak not to act is to act God will not hold us guiltless. Wilberforce said, may it never be said of me that I was silent when they needed me. Right? Some of Mm -hmm. of the greatest abolitionists in human history echoing these same types of messages from Proverbs, right? Proverbs 31, 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of the destitute. Um, And if the church were to truly embrace that, I mean, we could really change history and and say millions of children that are children, they are image bearers, they are our brothers and sisters, and yet we're completely silent on their dismemberment, on the greatest human rights violation in human history. Sometimes I wonder, Victoria, if the church and pastors viewed abortion like child sacrifice in the Old Testament, if something would change. And... But Seth, I don't know how they don't. I, I, I don't know how they don't because that's exactly what it is. Abortion is America's Holocaust. And if you're not doing something about it, go back and watch Schindler's List. Go back and watch the movies uh, about Anne Frank of what was happening. And you get that feeling of being infuriated, wanting to make a difference. Well, then go watch Unplanned. And if you're going to stand up for abortion, then by gosh, go watch an abortion on on YouTube because you can watch them anywhere. Read about how they're performed because if you're going to stand up for something, you better sure as beep know what you're standing up for if you're going to be supporting it. Don't be a coward. It's easy to be pro-choice if you don't have to see what that choice looks like, right? Oh, that's good. There yeah. is no middle ground. There is no moral neutrality. There is no gray area, right? If you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over by a truck. And we uh, will stand before God and give an account for all things done, whether good or bad. And silence in yeah, the face of evil is itself evil. Your silence is evil. And, and, and uh, I just, we'll, we'll wrap up here in a little bit. But if pastors, if you want to know how God feels about abortion, which is child sacrifice— then you need only look at how he talks about child sacrifice in the Old Testament. And, and, and I make the point, Victoria, that Satan doesn't care the name of the God that you sacrifice your children to. He does not need to be called Molech. He can be called convenience. He can be called money. He can be called selfishness, education, or career well-being. As long as you keep feeding children down his throat, he will be perfectly satisfied. And when God responds to child sacrifice in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 20, 
it says it says and if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man who gives one of his children to Molech, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people. And then in Isaiah 59, it says that the Lord was watched and was displeased for there is no justice. He sees that there is no advocate. He is shocked that no one is intervening. And that was said about child sacrifice. God says that he's shocked that there was no one to intervene about little infants who were being put on bales, hot bronze hands that were babies were sacrificed on. And abortion is is the same thing, except for their age. They're just a little bit smaller, a little bit younger, and a little bit more vulnerable. Um, yep. I want to finish with this, Victoria. I want, I want you to tell everyone, I want you to tell anyone that listens to this, what would you encourage the church to do? What can and should the church be doing? What is their moral and spiritual obligation on abortion? I think the moral and spiritual obligation is the easiest one. If you are a, a professed Christian and a leader, read your Bible and, and see what it says about it, the, the Great Commission. And if you can look out at your congregation and say to yourself, and you can lay your head on a pillow at night knowing you gave them the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. You gave them then the tools of what to do with it. You look out and you see hurting people. And if you don't see hurting people, get a job at a bank because your congregations are filled with them, not just from abortion, from all kinds of different heartache, tragedy, and abuses that have happened in their lives. So if you don't have the heart for people, I would tell you, get another job uh, and, and, and walk away because everyone's not called to the pulpit. Every, they just aren't. There are people in the pulpit that should not be there. So if you don't have that sense of righteousness, for the sake of their soul and their lives that they're, while they're here, then I would just tell you, maybe take a sabbatical. Maybe it's not, doesn't mean you need to leave the ministry, but get on your knees and, and ask God to show you and break your heart for these people, whatever the case is of what they're going through and, and, and be unashamed of the gospel to be bold. I, I believe that God is looking to and fro, Seth. And I believe he is saying, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to pass you and go to the one who will. And I think God has drawn a line in the sand. I, I have said this since last January when what happened in New York happened with the celebration of late-term abortion and after-birth abortion, that God put, us, put a line in the sand and said, no more in the middle. You're either on one side or the other. There's no in-between. You better pick a side. So I think we're living in a time now where you had better... Pray for the conviction of God and, and the fear of God. There are too many people in the pulpit who don't have it. If they did, they would be um, uh, partnering up with their local pregnancy resource centers. They'd be seeking them out. It wouldn't be the other way around. They'd be seeking them out saying, listen, we've got to make sure that this issue is covered in my church. I won't have it any other way. So the, those are those are things I believe that pastors can do. As far as us, as laymen, if you will, or even those like we are in ministry, we've got to constantly be educating ourselves, constantly be on our knees and praying uh, for God to convict us and to give us discernment as well, but to to... Reach people with love and compassion. I say that, I've said that a few times, Seth, but it has to be done in love and compassion. As I said earlier, I will never be one of those people screaming at anybody who makes the choice of abortion or who did how horrible they are. I did it. And to me, with these men and women that are listening that are post-abortive, I, I understand. I know how you feel because I felt the same way. But what I found out was there is redemption and reconciliation to the father after abortion. And if you're not in the right church, find the right church. Find the right leader. Go to somebody you trust. Call your local pregnancy resource center. God wants you healed and whole. He died on a cross for you to do that. And if you continue to live in this guilt and shame, it's like walking up to the cross as he's hanging there, slapping him on the face, saying, that's not good enough. Because he did it on the cross for all of us. And there is no sin too big for him. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Victoria. Thank you so much. 
Um, I want to uh, end with this. Um, for any of those of you listening who are asking that question, what's next? If this has been convicting for you, what Victoria and I have been talking about, and you want to do something at your church, whether you're a pastor or a lay person, but you believe that your church needs to get involved and do something, then consider booking our I'm Alive Pro-Life Church Tour at your church this fall or spring. I've teamed up with my new friend, Sarah Vienna, for a pro-life church tour. Uh, and Sarah is an international speaker and singer who works in Romania and the States defending the cause of the needy from unborn to elderly. Our I'm Alive Church Tour is named after Sarah's song, I'm Alive. This tour captures both the beauty and truth of the pro-life position. Speaking to both the head and the heart, this tour will win the hearts of your church for life while also equipping them to defend life. Based on biblical truths, I'm Alive can help your church create a culture of life that fights to love our unborn neighbors and their mothers and fathers. And then we'll have an optional forum Q&A training following the church service that helps you answer that question, what's next, with very practical steps. And we're going to hook you up with our friends at Love Life to begin an active pro-life initiative at your church to love unborn children and their mothers and fathers, change minds, change hearts, and save lives. So happening in the fall and the spring, this tour will fill up fast to bring I'm Alive to your church. Email us at I'm Alive Tour at gmail.com. That's I'm Alive Tour at gmail.com for questions and bookings. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Is there a, is there a 60 second uh, thought that you want to leave with our listeners? Um, I would just want to say to the pastors, I, I know it's not easy doing what you do, especially in the climate we live in today. So I don't want you to be discouraged, but be encouraged by the fact that when you start speaking truth, biblical truth about this issue and so many others, it may not be comfortable at first, and you're going to have to step out some of you of your comfort zones, but I can promise you God will honor you for it. And yeah, there may be some that leave. There may be some that are offended, but I truly believe that you will have the ministry that you have that's going to bless your socks off as you see people come to the cross in droves because you're speaking the truth. So now more than ever is the time for all of us to be bold and for us to be set apart and look different than the world. And we've got our work cut out for us, Seth. We do. But I believe God's in a hurry. And I believe he's just looking for those of us who are saying, hey, God, pick me. And I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to be effective. So, Pastor, I, I'm, I pray for you guys every day, pastors, and, and I want you to know that I, I think the Christian leaders ha- have, a, have a rough time right now, but you are the heroes of the faith. You can be again, and help us get that credibility back. It starts with you. Amen. Thank you so much, Victoria. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for listening to Victoria and I's conversation. Um, Head on over to iTunes and YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people, especially on a topic that not very many people want to engage with. And we want to engage with them and we need your help to reach them with a message of life. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for my training videos, to subscribe to my newsletter or for my speaking schedule. If you want to connect with Victoria, you can go to, uh, you can find her all over social media. She is with Ambassador Speakers Bureau, as long as with other Speakers Bureau. She's very active on social media. Um, And you can also learn more about the ministry that she's on staff with at SaveTheStorks.com. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.